God's Word tells us that pride is one of the major contributors to relationship stress or conflict. This message is the ninth in the series, Wiser. The message is entitled, Wisdom for Relationships, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. involved in a series of messages called Wiser. I want to continue to talk this weekend about wisdom for your relationships. We started out the brand new year talking about getting wisdom in 2018, the value of wisdom, the importance of wisdom from God's Word. And I've been using for with you a definition and for you a definition of wisdom that sort of comprehensively brings together a variety of aspects of wisdom in Scripture. And so I'm going to ask us to start this morning by reviewing the definition of wisdom. And it'll be on the screen for you instead of all of our campuses. I invite you to read aloud with me and let's read it out and declare it together. Are you ready? Here we go. Wisdom is together the... Accumulation and possession of knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, and prudent judgment from God's perspective, and the ability to practically apply these to everyday life and decisions. Wisdom is far more than having intellectual capacity, ability. Wisdom goes beyond how many degrees you have after your name. You can be very smart and have lots of different degrees and nevertheless not be wise. You can be old and not be wise. You can have lots of things going on in your life that represent what the world would think of as wisdom and yet nevertheless be shy of the wisdom of God because real wisdom is not human wisdom. Real wisdom is wisdom from God's perspective. It's thinking about life, approaching life from God's point of view. Now, wisdom is not just a matter of what you know, it's a matter of what you do. So wisdom is about taking what you know and actually applying it, doing it, living it in everyday situations. And there's no place where wisdom is needed more than in the relationships of life. I think you perhaps have found in living life that there's nothing that will make you happier and nothing that will make life harder than your relationships. If your relationships are going well, it's a wonderful thing. If your relationships are not going so well, it can be a horrible thing. And so up and downs, the up and downs and vicissitudes of life really are connected oftentimes with what's going on in our relationships, the quality of our relationships. And we need wisdom to navigate relationships well. And the Bible really is a book about relationship wisdom. It's about how we have a relationship with God. We often think of the Bible in those terms, but it's not just that. It's also about how to have a relationship with people, how to interact with those around you. And last weekend, we started in this series, this portion of the series, by talking about some of the things that are necessary regarding relationships, the fact that it requires wisdom if you're going to build a relationship. Relationships are going to be grown or built by the wisdom that you bring to it, that wisdom has a byproduct when you're living in wisdom. It produces peace in your relationships, and yet we have a problem. Our problem is us. We're sinful and selfish, and we're stubborn, and so because of that, we tend to avoid the wisdom of God instead of applying it as we need to, but when we do, we experience peace. And today I'm going to add three more relationship principles that will help us to continue to understand how to take God's wisdom and live it out day by day in the people that we interact with. The first thing today, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so on your note sheets today, is that the Bible teaches us that pride is one of the biggest relationship problems. If I were to ask you what causes the most problems in relationships, what would you say? In marriage, some people would say communication or finances or a variety of things, but the Bible gets to the root of issues, and the Bible says that the biggest problem in all of our relationships is really one word, and again, what, that, what is that word? 
pride. Let's take a look at some scriptures that emphasize this, that teach this to us. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 21, verse 24 says, mockers. A mocker is someone who is contentious or contemptuous in a relationship. So mockers are proud, haughty, and arrogant. Of course, that does not do well or sit well in relationships. Proverbs 22, verse 10, throw out the mocker, that is the contentious person, the contemptuous person, throw out the mocker and fighting goes to quarrels and insults will disappear. The New Testament teaches this also in Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Have you ever tried to hang around with a know-it-all? You cannot get along with them. Because they know it all. There's nothing that you can teach them. There's nothing you can say. It'll make any difference. They know everything. And so they're living in an attitude, an atmosphere, a bubble of pride. 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage that teaches us what real love is all about. It's where the Apostle Paul lays out the God kind of love. And in verse number 4, he gives us one of the characters, actually several characteristics of love. One of them that's associated with what we're talking about today. Would you read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 together with me? Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Real love is not proud. Now, what does the word pride mean? The word pride really symbolizes or speaks of, refers to an elevated or inflated opinion of yourself. It's when you put yourself above other people or think of yourself as superior to someone else. Pride does not necessarily come out openly. Sometimes pride is hidden within our hearts, but we have attitudes toward other people that we think that we're, we're better than them. We know more than they do, that we are more righteous than they are in certain aspects of life. And so we elevate ourselves in some way in our own opinion of ourselves. And pride is a very dangerous thing. It was pride that caused God to kick Lucifer out of heaven. Lucifer, as we know him to be Satan, because pride cannot exist in the atmosphere of heaven. It is anti, it's antithetical to the culture of heaven. Pride is. And so pride invites hellish things into our lives. And when we learn humility, it invites heavenly things into our lives. Let me talk to you about some of the impact of pride in relationships. I'll give you five characteristics or five symptoms of pride in relationships. These are not on your notes, but you may want to write them down as we're going through them. The first thing that pride causes oftentimes is what I would call a victim versus a villain mindset. What does that mean? It means that in a relationship, when there's a problem, a prideful person views themselves as the object where problems are coming their way. They have no responsibility for the problem in the relationship. And the other person is the villain. Villain, I'm just the victim. I, I, I'm not at fault here. The other person is. And so it's putting people in a view of them being the problem in the relationships rather than ourselves. And many times pride shows itself in this, 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 this characteristic. The second thing comes along with this is a sense of judgment, judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is looking at another person and magnifying their faults over yours. 
Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, the first five verses. He said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not see the log in your own eye? Why is it so easy for us to see the faults in other people and we we have such a difficult time seeing faults in ourselves? It's because of pride. It's because of judgment toward other people. The third word that I'll give you here, pride demonstrates itself in relationships through an attitude of contempt. The word contempt really means to show disrespect to another person. Anytime you dis- disrespect another individual, you're showing contempt toward them. And this contemptuousness is really a lack of care, a lack of empathy. It's demonstrated when someone says something, you sort of roll their eyeball, your eyeballs at them. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Or you have sarcasm in a relationship. In fact, marital research has proven that one of the signs that a relationship is going south, going the wrong direction, is when contempt shows up. When you lose the ability, the capacity to have empathy for another person, and instead you're speaking to them in sarcastic ways. You're rolling your eyes when they say something. You've lost connection at a human level with another person. That contempt is a sign of pride. The fourth one I'll give you here is being argumentative. The Bible says that by by pride comes conflict. As a prideful person generally has a tendency to want to argue all the time. They're looking for a fight and they they never want to settle a fight without having the last word. Pride says, I've got to have the last word because I have to be right in this situation. If you get two people in a relationship that both of them are prideful, then they both have to have the last word. And so there never is a last word. And conflicts will go on for days, and conflicts will go on for months, and conflicts will go on for years because somebody's got to have the last word. Someone is so prideful that they're not willing to say, I'll give you the last word in this situation. So do you see, are you beginning to see that the Bible is so right when it says pride is one of the biggest problems in relationships? I'll give you the last one here that I'm talking about today, and that's the inability to do something that is so vital to relationships, the inability to apologize. One of the things that help relationships work is this the ability, the capacity, the willingness to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And many times we don't want to say that to a spouse or to a friend or in a situation, relational situation, because we, we are afraid that it's going to make us look weak. It's going to make us look vulnerable. It's going to admit that we've done something wrong. And so the mindset is, I'll apologize when they do it first. If they'll apologize, then I will then apologize. Again, that's pride because I don't want to be perceived as being weak. Or I may apologize something like this. I'm really sorry you felt that way. Or I'm sorry you had this problem. And so we insincerely apologize or we apologize with qualifiers on it. And it never brings about the healing that is necessary. And I will tell you that one of the most important medicines or resolutions that can come to relationships is the ability, the simple ability and willingness to look at someone and say, I want you to know I'm really sorry. I own what I did. I own what I said. I'm sorry. It's not about you right now. It's about me. I'm asking you you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And if you've ever gone to a situation before and someone has apologized to you sincerely like that, you know that all the the ice melts and everything begins to tenderize when someone just simply offers an apology and owns up 
to the situation. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be the first person to do that. Because pride will keep you stepping back from it and saying, no, you've got to wait until the other person does it. No, humility says, let me do it first. Let me take the step and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. I've had you to do this before because I think it's a valuable exercise and we're going to do it again this morning just to help us all learn that we can actually say these words. I want you to say with me together, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And notice you didn't die after you said that, okay? <laughs> Let's try it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. Please, forgive me. Please forgive me. And perhaps for some of you, the very thing that you need to do when you go home today is you need to look at a spouse and say those words, I'm sorry. And don't say, I'm only saying this because the pastor told me, okay? <laughs> no. But to genuinely go home and say, you know what? God talked to me today at church, and I want you to know I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And of course, the, the appropriate response is an apology that comes back on the other side or certainly forgiveness that comes so that reconciliation can happen. I was looking at this word pride yesterday as I was doing some study and reviewing for the weekend. And I noticed something I don't, I'm not sure that I've ever really noticed before. Maybe you have, but I, it certainly came to my attention yesterday. And as I was looking at the word pride, I realized something that right in the center of the word pride is I. And pride will always keep you in the I moment. What do I want? What do I need? So let me encourage you to be aware of the fact that when relationship problems happen, one of the first places you want to look is you want to ask God to help you to address the pride in your life. The second principle today is that the greatest control that you'll ever have in a relationship is self-control. The greatest control you'll ever have in a relationship is self-control. One of the problems we have in our relationships is our need to, our desire to control other people. We want to make them into what we want them to be, to conform into our image. We want them to do what we want them to do so they'll meet the needs that we feel like we have in our lives. And so we try to manipulate them and control them and to change them. Have you ever tried to change another person? All of us have. So that need to change someone is a desire to control them, to get them to become what you want them to be. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to influence another person for good, but everything is wrong with trying to control another person. Because when you step in and try to control somebody else, first of all, it never works. And I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Because control, trying to control another person, is actually an invasion of their will. It is an invasion of their personality. It is an invasion of the God-designed boundaries of their life. Even God does not invade your boundaries. God will work to influence you and to guide you to make decisions. But He waits on you to say yes. He waits on you to respond to Him with your will. That He allows you to choose and to actually give Him control. He doesn't take control from you. And the same needs to be true in our relationships, that we realize we can't control anyone else. And as soon as you start trying to control another person, or you try to manip manipulate them in some way to get what you want from them, what happens is this, you by nature will create defensiveness in the relationship. Because anytime someone's trying to control you, they're invading your boundaries, and when your boundaries are invaded, you want to defend your boundaries. So that's, what, that's actually what happens. And so we have to realize that control of other people is not what we're called to do. In fact, the reality is you can't control anybody else. You really can't change anyone else. And the only person that you can really have any power to control in any relationship or situation in life is yourself. The only person you have control over is you. 
And sometimes we're trying to energize other people or change other people, put our energy into changing other people when we need to put our energy into addressing ourselves. Controlling yourself is called what? Self-control. Now, according to the Bible, not only is the Bible very clear about the importance of this, but the Bible points us to the places of life and the points of life that we need to control very specifically. And I'm going to talk about two of these today. The Bible says that we need to be very self-controlled when it comes to our mouths. I heard a little bit of something going on when I said that right then, okay? And we need to be very self-controlled when it comes to our emotions. Say these two things with me, our mouths and our emotions. I'm going to add something parenthetically here. You cannot control your thinking, your, your emotions without also controlling your thinking. And I'll describe that for you in a moment. So according, of course, we could talk about another aspect of self-control and behavior. I'm not going to talk about that today, but I'm talking specifically about these two dimensions in relationships, controlling your mouth and controlling your emotions. Let's start with the controlling of our emotions. You can't control your emotions without also controlling your thinking, because what you think will determine what you feel. If I were to give you an exercise right now and say for the next five minutes, I want you to think about the person who has treated you the worst ever in your life, okay? They trashed you, they, they deserted you, they abandoned you, they betrayed you. Just the worst situation you've ever had in a relationship. For the next five minutes, think about it. In five minutes, what, what would you be feeling? You'd be feeling anger, you'd be feeling all kind of negative things on the inside because you've ruminated about this thing for five minutes and it's created emotions. If I were to say to you, take the next five minutes and think about people who've been really sweet and kind and gracious to you in your life. Think about the people you're thankful for. Spend five minutes thinking about the best people you've ever known who've blessed you. After those five minutes, what would you be feeling? Your emotions would be very different. And so to control your emotions, you have to control what you're thinking, how you go about your thought processes. You grab hold of self-control. I'm going to control what goes on in my head so I can control what's going on in my heart. Amen? Now look at the scriptures and see what it says about this. I'll give you a few of these. Proverbs 14, 29. People with understanding control their Anger, which is an emotion that comes out of thinking about something. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient. Patience is an emotion that comes out of a way of thinking. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without Self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Let's talk about that one just for a moment. Back in ancient times, the only way that a city could, pr- could provide protection for itself would be, would be by building walls around it. You go to Jerusalem today, it's still a walled city. The old city of Jerusalem has walls around it. The reason is because that's a way that you protected yourself against any enemy force coming against you. And the Bible says that if you don't have self-control, it's like a city that doesn't even have any walls. That the enemy can come in and plunder you anytime. The adversary can drop some kind of thought in your mind that will create some kind of emotion that can mess up your day. See, a lot of you are going through your days, you have no walls of self-control. And so all the your whole day, the devil's dropping stuff in your life and you're buying into it, and it's messing with you and messing with your relationships because you don't have a wall of self-control. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Are you tracking with me? Okay. 
So the Bible says without self-control, it's like, it's like not even having a defense around your life. Notice the next verse. Proverbs 29, verse 11. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. For years, there was the theory in, in psychological study that the best thing to do with your anger is to vent it. If I feel it, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to blow it off, and blow it, we call it blowing off steam. And the idea was that if you blow off your steam, that somehow you, you're not only going to feel better, but things will be better. Well, the latest psychological research points exactly to the Bible that proves this, that when you ventilate your anger, all you do is stimulate more anger. It doesn't help you. It actually makes you more angry. So if, if a couple gets involved in an interaction with each other and they're blowing off steam at each other, they're not going to make progress that way. All they're going to do is create more of an atmosphere of anger in that moment and an atmosphere of anger in their environment for the future. And so the Bible says that fools vent their anger, but the scripture says that the wise quietly do what? Hold it back. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. So the Bible says if you want to improve your relationships, don't try to control someone else. Try to control who? Yourself, your emotions, your thinking. And then it also describes the importance of controlling what we say, our words. Do you know that you actually have control over when and how you open your mouth and what you say? You do not have to say everything you think. Did you know that? For some of us, we're like, oh, really? I didn't realize that, okay? But you actually don't have to say everything that you think. And that's what self-control is. Self-control is having a filter that before it comes out, it runs through a filter that says, should I even say this, okay? And the better your filters, the better your communication will be. And that's part of what we learn in interaction with people. We learn how to put filters here. Let's go to the Bible and see what it says about this. Proverbs 10, 19 and 20 from the Living Bible. I love this. Don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. Okay? When a good man speaks, he is worth listening to. But the words of fools are a dime a dozen. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. It's going to the emotional side of things. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power. Notice that phrase. There is power. Your words have power. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. We all know this, but let's be reminded of it, that when you speak, there's power in your words. And words that come out of your mouth can have the power of reviving and restoring someone. You can speak just a word to someone and it puts life into them. And then your words, you can speak one little word to someone. It's like pulling out a dagger and sticking it in their soul. Just one little word can kill something, kill dreams and hopes and aspirations and, and inspiration in their life. So just one little dagger in the soul of a word that's spoken can bring about the death of something inside of an individual. So there's power in your tongue. Proverbs 21 verse 23, this verse alone should change our entire way of relating to people. Keep your mouth 
closed, okay? And you'll stay out of trouble, amen? Okay. Now, this is the Bible. God says, this is how I want you to begin to live your life. Because self-control is the most important control you will ever have in any relationships. Let's review where we've been so far. What's the biggest problem in our relationships? What does the Bible say is the biggest problem? Not communication, not in marriage, not finance, not all those things have their place. But the biggest problem in our relationships is pride. When it comes to control, which is a big issue in relationships, what is the most important control you'll ever have in a relationship? Self-control. What do we control? Our emotions and our mouths, which includes our thinking. Let's go to our third and final point here, okay? The third thing is that commitment is the glue and forgiveness is the oil that keep relationships strong. Let me give that to you again. Commitment is the glue, and forgiveness is the oil that keep relationships strong. The third thing is you have to learn something about commitment and forgiveness. Because every relationship needs glue, and every relationship needs oil. Say this two words with me, glue and oil. No relationship will work without glue and oil. You have to have both of these things, things that we're familiar with. Now, the glue of a relationship is commitment. That's what glues your relationships together. And commitment is an inner pledge of loyalty to another person that is outwardly communicated in your words and your actions. I'll give that to you again. Commitment is an inner pledge of loyalty or devotion to another person that is outwardly communicated by your words and by your actions. By the way, this is Julio, and he's supposed to be up here, just so you know, all right? He's going to help me out with something in just a moment. If I'm Julio's friend and I'm committed to him as a friend, it means that I have an inner loyalty to him, okay? That I'm inwardly, I've devoted to him. We have a friendship. I'm devoted to him. But it also means that I'm going to outwardly communicate my loyalty, loyalty to him by my words and by my actions. When he needs me, I'm there. Whatever I can do for him to be a blessing and help in his life, it, according to my power or ability, I'm going to do it. And so it's not just something I feel toward Julio on the inside in terms of friendship, but I back it up by my, by my actions, by my words as well. I let him know, you're my friend. You're, you're, you're someone that's important to me, and if you need me, I'm there. It's been said that a friend is someone that walks into your life when everybody else walks out. That's what a friend is. And so it means this, that I'm loyal to him. Okay? It means that whatever I say to him and to his face, I'm not going to step behind him and say something else about him behind his back. I'm not going to say, hey, Julio, you're handsome, you're awesome, you're amazing. Isn't he really ugly? <laughs> but see, there's, there's duplicity. That's what we call being two-faced, right? You say something in front of someone's face and then something else behind their back. That's not what commitment is. Commitment is I'm inwardly loyal in a marriage relationship. I'm inwardly committed to my wife. I love her. I'm committed to her. And I communicate that to her by my words and I demonstrate it to her by my actions. It's not just something that she has to figure out. It's something that I now am communicating to her in an effective way. Proverbs 17, verse 17. Look at what it says. A true friend is always what? Loyal. When are they loyal? Always. 
and a brother is born, born to help in time of need. Proverbs 18, 24. There are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice the word there, sticks, it's glue, all right? Proverbs 20, verse number six. Many will say they're loyal friends, but who can find, who can find one who is truly reliable? This real loyalty and real commitment is rare. Would you agree that in our culture today, there's not a whole lot of commitment? There's not a whole lot of real loyalty. you got a lot of people who will say nice things to your face, a lot of bad things behind your back. The Bible says don't be that kind of person. Proverbs 27 verse 10 says, Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Then you won't need to go to a distant relative for help in your time of need. That is value, long-term commitments, long-term friendships, long-term relationships. Let's talk about this just for a moment. Come on out here with me, Julio, so I can illustrate Commitment is the commitment is the glue. If you're going to have a relationship, you got to have something that causes you to stick together. I love doing this part. Okay, this is great. Okay, and commitment is what you apply to a relationship that says, you know what, we are going to be friends. We're committed. Or in a marriage relationship. I, till death do us part, I am committing myself to you in relationship. Now, this illustrates, I've got two different colors of paper here, two different people coming together. You don't lose identity, but you come together. The Bible says the two become one. And what causes them to become one? Commitment, okay? My commitment is to you. Now, why is commitment important? Because only when you're committed will you grow. You cannot commitment, you can't grow without commitment. Why? Because commitment creates the trust necessary to develop. You can't, you'll never trust anyone that's not committed to you. If you don't know that they're not committed, you're not going to trust them, okay? But when you know that they're committed to you and you're committed to them, then there's a trust that allows you now to open up and be vulnerable and to grow as you need to grow. When commitment is not there, what you do is when a problem, uh, when a problem happens, you run away from the problem. You run away, you get away from the pain because it's the easier thing to do is to get away from somebody that's causing you pain than it is to stick together with someone that's causing you pain. But commitment says, I, honey, I'm committed to you. To my wife, my wife says, honey, I'm committed to you. We are stuck together until death do us part. That means that we are in this thing for the long haul. There are going to be some problems. We're going to have to, we've already made the decision. Divorce is not an option, okay? We've already made the decision. That's not an option, which means this. It means whatever comes up, we got to work through it. Because the commitment is there that says, we're just not, there's no other option. We are glued together till death do us part. We've made this decision. Now, notice this. I don't have time to let it dry here this morning. It's a little bit wet, so I can still pull them apart. But if you let this glue dry over a period of time, what happens is there's this bonding that occurs between these two pieces of paper. And then when you try to separate the two pieces of paper, do you know what inevitably will happen? What will happen is part of this piece of paper will be left on this piece of paper and part of this piece of paper will be left on this piece of paper. You can't completely separate it. And that's exactly what happens in divorce situations. When you break a relationship apart, I'm not condemning anyone today. I'm here to help you for your future. Amen. Okay. So I'm not worried. We can't fix your past. You can't do a thing about your past. Amen. Okay. So let's don't worry about your past. God is a God that's able to take you right where you are today. Amen. Are you with me? All right. Very imp- Are you with me, church? Okay. So I'm not, don't, don't walk in and say, well, he just really condemned me. They, no, I did not. Okay. Okay. 
I'm here to help you, okay? But this is what happens in divorce. When a, when a marriage has occurred and two people have come together and then they split apart, you're going to carry some of that person on you and they're going to carry some of you on them. You can't put, because the Bible says what God has joined together, let not man pull asunder, let not, let not man separate. And that's why when people have a marriage breakup and they run out of one relationship into another relationship, they're still carrying part of their old spouse with them into the old relationship. Let me tell you something, if you've gone through a divorce, don't you dare run out and try to get married again next week. You get some healing in your life. Amen? Get some healing, some restoration, so that the next time around, you can make a better choice. You can do things the right way, that you can get healed on the inside, so that now you can begin to move forward. See, there's interesting statistics in our culture today, about 40%, 40 or so percent of marriages end in, in divorce. But if you look at second and third marriages, about 60 to 75% of second and third marriages end in divorce. Why? Because people are still carrying around old folks with them, Right? And so they got stuff stuck in their soul. And that's why the Bible says bond together. Commitment is the glue that holds you together, that allows you to grow and to develop. Thank you, Julio, very much. You did a great job. All right, awesome. Now, if forgiveness, is, if, if, if commitment is the glue, forgiveness is the oil, okay? Yeah, you can give him a hand. That's all right. That's good. I'll tell you something else about him when he leaves, so I can tell you something behind his back. So okay. So if commitment is the glue, what is forgiveness? The oil. Now, why do we need oil in a relationship? Because friction happens. Stuff happens in relationships that hurt us. And even though we're committed, we still have these hurt points that we're going through. And so we need something that will allow us to lubricate our relationships. And the Bible says that, that forgiveness is that lubricant, that capacity to heal and restore. Notice the scriptures, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love or forgiveness covers over all wrongs. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Don't ever say, I'll get you for that. Wait for God. He'll settle the score. I promise you something that if a score needs to be settled, you can trust God to settle it. Okay? Let's talk about this whole idea of forgiveness being the oil just for a moment. This is a pipe wrench. And pipe wrenches operate by this little mechanism here that's sort of a if you will, sort of a gear mechanism that, that you have here that you roll this, it opens up or closes that pipe wrench in the way that it needs to be opened or closed. Now, what happens oftentimes with pipe wrenches or wrenches of this nature is because they're often used out in watered places and places where it gets moisture, it's not unusual for this section of a pipe wrench to get rusty, okay? And so what happens when it gets rusty is that it becomes very difficult to turn this little mechanism to make the adjustment. Sometimes you cannot turn it at all because of the rust that builds up inside here and on these little gears that, that, are, that are right here. And so it becomes very difficult to move at all. It gets stuck. Everybody say stuck. Okay, stuck. Okay. Now, I brought with me today something that is, is a miracle working product. It's called WD-40, okay? <laughs> Everybody needs in your life duct tape and WD-40, okay? <laughs> I promise you, okay? They will help you in a lot of situations. 
If any of you guys or, or gals that have ever used WD-40, you know it's absolutely incredible because if this gets rusty, all you need to do is to take this little WD-40 and shoot it right in there a little bit, and it's oil, okay? And what happens is that oil begins to penetrate the rust and begins to cause the rust to break down. And what you're able then to do is you're able to move something that has been very easily that had been stuck before. Even though this is not rusty, it's moving a lot easier now than it was a few moments ago because there's a lubricant there, okay? Something has oiled the surface and now it works. It's functional, okay? You know why a lot of our relationships are not functional? They're dysfunctional. That's what dysfunctional means. They're not functional. Why are a lot of our relationships not functional? Because we have so much gunk built up in our hearts toward one another. That over a year or five years or ten years or twenty years, we've just been accumulating, if you will, rust in our heart toward another person. And we're wondering, why is our relationship stuck? It's stuck because we've let stuff accumulate inside of our hearts. And now that... That accumulation is just there keeping us from being able to move forward. And God has an antidote for that. You know what the antidote is? What's the oil? Forgiveness. It's the willingness to say, I am going to let go of the hurts and pains that I've been carrying around with me. And I'm going to choose to forgive the other person. I'm not, going, I'm not here any longer to make them pay for what they've done to me. I choose freely and willingly to forgive. And forgiveness is never about the other person. It's not about them deserving it. They may not deserve to be forgiven. It's, it's really not about your feelings. I feel like forgiving. I've never, ever felt like forgiving anyone. That's the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Have, have you? I've never felt like forgiving anyone. I felt like getting even with people before. How about you? Okay. Have you ever felt that way? We've all felt like getting even. I've never felt a divine inspiration. Oh, I just feel so good. I want to forgive you. No. No. Every time I've ever forgiven someone, it's been an act of the will. It's been a choice that I've made, okay? I choose to forgive this person. And I've noticed something that when I make the choice to forgive someone, it's like, it's like oil that's sprayed. And it take, may, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others, but there's a penetration in my heart that begins to happen. And then where there's been coldness and hardness towards someone, when I choose to forgive them, it's God spraying the oil in my heart. And before long, I'm able to function with that person again like I had not been able to do before. And for some of you, that's exactly what you need to do. The reason that you're stuck in your relationship is because you haven't applied the oil of forgiveness. Today is the day that you can make the choice. Don't wait till you feel like it. Make the choice to do it. Amen? So let's review where we've been today, all right? What have we learned? What's the number one lesson? What's the biggest problem in every relationship? Pride. Who's the only person you control, can control in a relationship? You, yourself. Self-control. And thirdly, what do you need? You need glue and oil. And what is the glue? Commitment. What is the oil? Forgiveness. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your word. We're so grateful that you've spoken to us today. We ask you to take this message and let it be real and rich in our heart. Let us apply it as we leave this place today for your glory and honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.